Hello, and welcome to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. My name's Charlotte, I'm Patient Advocacy Manager here at Leukemia Care. You may have heard Jamie from a previous podcast episode. He does a lot of volunteering for us, but earlier this year, he came to us with an idea to turn his passion for poetry into a support initiative for other leukemia patients. It was an offer we couldn't refuse. In this episode, you can hear more about why writing and poetry mean a lot to Jamie, and also hear his fantastic poems for yourself. Jamie, thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks for having me as ever, Charlotte. So we have now uh, appointed you uh, our poet in residence, which we're going to talk about across uh, the whole of today's podcast. It was really exciting, really something we've never done before at Leukemia Care, so that's really cool. And also, um, just to let the listeners know uh, that Jamie's going to read a few of his poems throughout the the podcast today to give you sort of a flavour of of the work he does. But we're going to start with a, a quick reminder of who you are, I suppose, Jamie. So for those who didn't hear your last podcast, where we we generally talked about sort of your experience of leukemia. Could you just say a little bit about what your life was like pre-diagnosis and, and how you came to be diagnosed with leukemia? Yeah, so um, pre-diagnosis, I was your regular dad, two kids. I had a job in community management. Um, I also taught a bit of creative writing at Cardiff Uni for adult learners. And I just finished my like first two terms there, my first six months in my job. And then from nowhere, uh, I just felt a bit rubbish. Um, and the feeling a bit rubbish carried on for a couple of weeks until I thought, you know, I had the flu or something. I had fevers, went to the doctors. He told me to go to the hospital and I was just deteriorating very, very quickly turned out I had APL, acute promyelocytic leukemia. And I then spent the next couple of months in hospital and then the rest of 10 months having chemo. I'm in remission now. So that was 2019, 2020. But, you know, I've obviously come into this um, new exciting world of, of COVID where people like ourselves do have immune system difficulties, which means every time one of my children brings home a cold from school, I get it. So it's equally even more scary when they come home with, with COVID from school. Um, so I've had COVID as well, which was not a great experience. Um, it actually brought back a lot of memories of, of having leukemia in terms of like the pains and the fevers. But yeah, I've, I've been doing pretty well. Thank you. Great to hear you're in remission. So I thought it might be a good point to have you read your first poem, which is I call, called I Thought I Had a Cold, because you've talked quite a lot about, you know, your experience of being diagnosed with leukaemia. So would you mind reading that for me first? Yeah, that'd be absolutely fine. I thought I had a cold. I thought I had a cold. I was so tired I ran marathons, limping to the kitchen to take ibuprofen for the pains in my joints. I blamed this never-ending cold for the shortness of breath. I explained away the mysterious bruises appearing on my skin like Japanese knotweed. I thought I had a cold, so I had a lie down and a lemsip for the fever, and only went to the doctor because my laboured deep sides were annoying my wife. I thought I had a cold. So I think that really emphasises the <laughs> the nature of the symptoms of leukemia, which we talked about at length in, in our last podcast. But I wondered what the aim of this poem is for you is this a is this an educational poem for others or a cathartic sort of reflection on your own experience or a little bit of both really yeah it is a bit of both you know i 
I, I find it a bit strange that we have these vague symptoms for leukemia. And obviously, you know, spot leukemia is a really big campaign every September. And, you know, I just try to put together kind of my pre-state, really. Um, you know, I've, I've been working through in, in my head how, how all these things kind of fit together um, in terms of my own story and my own life. Um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was just the just complete unawareness of what the symptoms were and so yeah you know I, I tried to pull in the, the main sort of six spot leukemia symptoms in there I, you know I didn't really have a massive problem with with bleeding for example but you know I've got I've got bruises in there um so that's one of them so yeah you know I, I just tried to sort of bring together those kind of themes um and it's a very real there's just just the naivety of, of going into going into hospital, being a bit poorly to be told you had something quite so life-altering. Was it a challenge to specifically get those symptoms into quite a short poem? Or <laughs> were you intending it to be fairly short and then had to sort of squeeze the words in? Or were you intending it to be um, as long as it needed to be to get the message across? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult because, you know, I, I think I, I love writing limericks and I love writing haikus. And they're very precise, you know, limericks are five lines, haikus are, that's the math, 17 syllables, you know, and, and I love the sort of puzzle of fitting words in for that. But apart from that, I don't really stick to a particular form or structure when I'm writing the poem. They tend to fall into, fall into place. I think this poem probably had, I don't know, another like three verses of me just wittering on. I firmly believe in, in editing. And I think that's a very crucial part of understanding what has happened is I'm not suggesting that you, that you alter what, what's happened in your life, but you sort of pick out the, the key moments, the, the, the key things, and that, that matches what, what those symptoms were. You know, if, if, if I couldn't have come up with a suitable bit about bruises, I wouldn't have put it in. You know, just like those kind of invasive Japanese knotweed plants that we have warnings for everywhere. That, that's how the bruises were appearing. They were just like, what, why? Why have I got these bruises on me? Didn't ask for them. I wasn't jostled. You know, I didn't bang into anything. Where have these come from? And I just, just felt that that was a really nice metaphor for it. I liked that you tried to get all the symptoms in, specifically for the reason that almost everyone that we've had on the podcast has said the words, in hindsight, I had X. And I thought that the, the poem really emphasises that amazingly so much so that i i had a that sort of a giggle to myself so i thought yeah, this really gets the the message across i know it's quite a serious poem but you know when you're working in the area you sort of can see the humor of the fact that this really does fit into what you're what you're saying every day so yeah it's a really really good thing to do what are you planning to achieve this year does it include free falling from fifteen thousand feet maybe flying on a zip wire is more your thing Join Team LC this year, raising vital funds, as well as your pulse rate. We'll support you all the way in raising the money. The question is, are you brave enough to take on the challenge? Simply search online for Leukemia Care Zipwire or Leukemia Care Skydive to find out more. I suppose the other thing people don't realise about leukemia is that it's not an illness of children, specifically, or it's actually an illness of... Primarily older people, but can affect people of all ages, was another key message of our Spot Leukemia campaign. So that, I thought, was a, a good point to, to bring in your second poem, if I may. Yeah, of course. Um, so this is called Blue Peter Bring and Buy Sale, 1987. 
I always thought that leukemia was a children's illness. I never knew that adults could get it. I didn't know that it was a type of cancer until I I thought it was just one of those things like Great Ormond Street or Campuchia that we raised money for with Blue Peter bring and buy sales in the school hall when we were 10. And you'd buy a secondhand calculator for 20p and play with it the next day writing shell oil and boobies while Janet and Peter and Simon explain why our efforts are so important and show how high up the totalizer we've got to, but forgetting it all when neighbours came on straight after. And I really wish I'd paid more attention. And I wish I'd brought and bought more things. So I'm curious, is that a real memory? As in, you remember raising money specifically for leukaemia or is it more of a a reflection on sort of that idea of raising money when you are a younger person? Because it's it's a word that's always around. You know, I don't think it's a word that's never been in my vocabulary. And it's an illness that, you know, I have no idea of. And I, I have... A ridiculous amount of general knowledge and I love doing um, there's a particular quiz which you, which you can do online where you have to type in the names of every single country in the world and I always remember Burkina Faso and Somalia and places like Cambodia because I remember as a child doing you know Blue Peter appeals or raising money for these these terrible things that happened and the same for Great Ormond Street um, you know it's it's a hospital in London where they treat children. But as a kid, it was the kind of thing that we raised money for. And you didn't really pay it too much attention unless it actually hits you. Um, it's just, you know, like, like so many of these things, unless something comes into your life and really changes it, it's just something that you're vaguely aware of. And unfortunately, um, that was my relationship with leukemia. You know, I can look back now and think, I wish... I wish I'd, you know, learned more stuff. I wish I'd looked more stuff up and been more interested in what was going on. But, you know, when, when, when you're 12, you don't pay much attention because Neighbours is on at 5.35 and, you know, you've got to see what Scott and Charlene are up to. Obviously, it's not on anymore because it's just been cancelled. I was going to say you know, that. <laughs> sad day. But, yeah, you know, I, I just wish that I'd been more aware. I think, you know, we have that very strong movement at the moment of people being more awake to what's going on in the world. And I think that we all have that responsibility to actually pay a bit more attention. You know, there's so many, you know, I was just going through Twitter today and there's so many different campaigns, all of which are just pulling at my heartstrings. You know, we've got um, the campaign to get Evershield for immunocompromised people. But at the same time, there's uproar about um, refugees. There's the situation with um, Northern Ireland. And you're just thinking, where, where can I divert that attention? And how can I spread myself so I can understand it all? And I think that's our responsibility in this society now, where we really do need to be paying more attention and be more aware of, of what's happening. Hopefully the spot leukemia campaign will help with that. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, it's, for, for me personally, it's... It's really, really important. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I just hope that more people will pay attention and not just, you know, flick through the screen or change the channel. So I wanted to talk, a, I suppose, a bit more 
generally about why you're interested in poetry. So, <laughs> I was having some interesting conversations with family friends. I said, oh, I'm going to talk a lot about poetry as part of my job. And I said, how, how is poetry connected to, to what you do as a charity? And also the thing that came up is that they found poetry quite challenging. And I'll admit I'm one of those people who found poetry quite uh, a challenging sort of medium to get involved with, like at school. So I wanted to just ask what interests you about poetry so you mentioned you're a part-time creative writing teacher but clearly you have a particular interest in poetry um so what what does interest you about it i suppose funnily enough i I wasn't really that interested in poetry um until i got ill i think you know i'd always had a sort of love-hate relationship with it i mean even as someone who like you know i went to uni and did an english degree you know it's just like poetry that sucks it's all byron and shakespeare and wordsworth and it just wasn't anything that, that that related to my life but i think coming to it now i lost a lot of my attention span certainly going through all this illness and i also needed to try and make sense of what was happening and i found you know i had this notebook that i had in hospital which had you know my numbers written down on it you know my blood cell count and then like messages, you know, that I'd written to the nursing staff saying, you know, I've just gone out for a walk or just notes about what was going on in my life. And because I struggled to remember what had happened, you know, on a daily basis, I found myself reviewing these notes and rewriting them. And there was something in them that helped me make sense of it. And then, you know, you sort of couple with that where you're thinking, can I do something with this and make it so it's like a a polished memory. It wasn't something for me to necessarily share with the world. That wasn't my intent when I started writing. My intent was to make sense of what had happened. And I think that's what poetry can really do. It can make you think, it can make you question, it can answer questions as well. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that kind of formal, beautiful, elegaic, nature-based prose. You know, it, it can be some, some really from the heart stuff, really raw in your own voice you know one of the things that is very important i think is to be able to connect with people and a good poem can do that you know there, there, there's poems that we remember if you, you know if you think of um, dylan thomas with his beautiful do not go gentle into that good night that's something that really resonates with people because they've been there you know they've been in that situation and even if we say you know we're not interested in it there's there's so much little bits of poetry that can be found because i had this lack of attention span as well i found myself reading shorter and shorter things um and listening you know i had trouble reading so i listened to a lot of of podcasts and poetry is just you can listen to it and get something out of it whereas i found that listening to audio books i would just fall asleep after like chapter one because I just couldn't, couldn't keep that level of concentration. But something that was, you know, as fully formed as a poem, something that's 30 seconds, a minute long, you could really get involved in it and understand it. So yeah, that, that's kind of why I started really getting into poetry, because it just offered me so many avenues, um, so many options, so many ways to get out of my own head and to get things out down understood and on paper so the ones we've heard you talk about so far are they have a message they're trying to i suppose remind to promote a campaign message essentially 
is does I suppose is there something about poetry that can help people remember these things um so obviously if you just list symptoms to people it's possible that they will get bored and forget them um is there evidence in your view that a, a poem is more likely to be remembered by people more likely to be remembered yeah possibly in the same way that, that a pop song would be you know we, we learn the alphabet through poetry mm. you know i know that you know you've got a b c d e f g and then L M N O P. you know you've got that rhyming thing and the alphabet doesn't make sense in english because we uh, when you end with z you know it needs to end with z um and these are all kind of things that, that can stick in your mind um absolutely i think that there's always been that kind of history of, of protest poetry you know, even, you know, from, you know, when, when man first started writing poetry um, to people writing in, in the 80s, a lot of great po protest poetry. And, you know, I'm heavily influenced by punk music, you know, from, from The Clash, The Pistols, through like Manic Street Preachers. There's always been a, a kind of strong message in what I've written when I used to want to be a pop star, you know, 20 years ago. And I just think that having that, having a voice, and having an audience, you may as well use it. You know, I didn't like start writing poetry to write protest poems or, you know, message poems, but they can be effective. And I've got a couple of hundred followers um, on the internet who, who read them. And what, what's really been quite surprising for me is how a couple of my recent poems that I've shared online have had this kind of new, almost, I'm not going to say viral because it's not like 10 million views on TikTok but they're being shared a lot um, and conversations are had around them um, because of, you know, the, the messages they have. And I think there's a degree of writing poetry for yourself, but there's also writing a more universal message that can be shared. And you can say, yeah, I, I agree with this. This is me. I could talk to you for half an hour about it, but this is me in 12 lines and some of them rhyme, you know? And I, I think having that kind of, being able to just put it in a little square on Instagram can, you know, just be so valuable and really get a message right across. I found the webinars really interesting, again, because I think of the lack of information you're given during treatment. And if you are given information, often at the time, it just it's just in one ear, out the other. So at the time, I think I didn't really take in a lot of the information and my husband did. And so after treatment, I actually went back to your YouTube channel and watched a lot of your webinars. Most recently, there was one on acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which I found really useful. Leukemia Care's informational webinars are about the topics that matter to you, whether that be the current news in COVID, the latest developments in treatment and much more. You can hear from patients and healthcare professionals alike, providing insight on all things leukemia, Watching it live even lets you post questions directly to those panels. Find out when our next webinar is scheduled by heading on over to our social media or our website, or to watch those you've already missed, check out our YouTube channel. Talking of messages, this sort of brings nicely onto your next poem, and this one particularly interests me, and I'll explain why after you've read it, but it's called The Failed Promyelocytic Rebellion of 2019. The Failed Promyelocytic Rebellion 2019. I fell, felt ill, the shell intact, but inside white blood cells rebel. And like rebel cells, they recruit and disturb, disrupting means of production, sabotaging the chromosomes, and can't be made to reason. 
With their weaponized gene, they collapse colonnades. From inside, the gunfire cracks the shell, the structure, me. This one really, really interested me. And I suppose is why I put it in the middle because I'm a scientist and it is, and I don't know whether this is what you intended, but it comes across to me as a piece of what we call science communication. So trying to explain something immensely complicated in in a very simple way. Is, was, was that your intention with, the, with this particular poem? Basically, um, I, I, I'm not a scientist. I think that, that, that's quite clear. But I needed to understand <laughs> why I got ill and how I got ill and how it all fell apart. I tried a whole bunch of ways to understand it and to write through it. Because it's all about acute promyelocytic leukemia is all about immature blood cells. And I wrote a bunch of poems about teenagers hanging around at bus stops, drinking cider and refusing to grow up because, you know, that was the only way I could really understand it. But then this one sort of fell into place. And yeah, you know, it is a rebellion. It is your blood cells rebelling against you. And it helped me make sense of it. The fact that it is a decent poem is just a bonus, you know, all of this. I mean, this was the... This was published in a small publication called Marble Broadsheet, and it was all about the theme of the body. So it was kind of perfect for that because, you know, it's about the body and they accepted it as one of like, you know, I think six poems that were in it. And that was, that was really nice. But um, for me, it, it helps me make sense of what happened to me. There was a rebellion in my bone marrow. My white blood cells got cross. They went on strike and then knocked it all down. I think as it is a... A great metaphor, one I'd wish I'd thought of. <laughs> as, as a communicator of science, I think cancer is probably the one of the most difficult things to explain to people because you can sort of imagine these things floating in the air that come along to harm you, external things. But to have something happen that was once a part of you it's still a part of you and it's happened and it's come from a, something normal. So a normal cell has, has gone wrong is a very difficult concept, I find. So yeah, that rebellion thing is, is fascinating. When, I wonder, when did, you, when did you sort of come up with that in terms of your, I hate the word journey, but a journey through since you were diagnosed with leukemia, was it something fairly recent, that one, or was it something you wrote to try and understand it at the time it was happening? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> Definitely not at the time it was happening. Um, I, I didn't understand what was happening at the time it was happening. I think, you know, a, a lot of this was me coming to terms with it after the event. You know, I've, I've struggled a lot with my mental health anyway, but certainly since having leukemia, had PTSD, and there's a lot of writing involved in that. And in, it's not a lot of writing involved in PTSD. There's a lot of writing involved in the therapy for PTSD. And, you know, just trying to make sense of this kind of thing later on, you know, a year, a year down the line, a year and a half down the line. But, you know, I love Star Wars and I just like the idea that there was a rebellion. I didn't support this rebellion. I support the rebellion in Star Wars. Do not support the rebellion in, inside my body. But, you know, I've got, I've got two kids and trying to explain cancer to them and trying to explain my illness to them has been difficult enough. So you kind of 
when, when you're dealing with complex matters and children, you do have to use a lot of metaphor and a lot of simile. And it, it, it does, you know, it just kind of comes a little bit more naturally, I think, because of that, you know, trying to break down those, those conversations into bite-sized chunks, into relatable ideas. And I'm, yeah, I'm quite proud of that one. Yeah, I thought that was, that was definitely my favourite of the collection you sent us through for the podcast, definitely. Thank you. We've talked a little bit about writing for, for hindsight or reflection. Did you, I suppose, where exactly in the, the, the journey since you were diagnosed with leukaemia did you start to formulate them into poems, your, your thoughts? Was there a particular moment, I suppose, where it, it clicked and you started writing poems rather than just little notes to yourself? Um, or is it sort of throughout? Yeah, it, it was very much towards the end, coming to, you know, come, coming towards the end of the journey. I had been writing a blog on Facebook um, for my friends to read rather than have to tell them all the same story. 20,000 times, you know, I could just like share it. So I'd always been writing. I've always written. It's just been the thing that I can do. I guess if I hadn't had a cannula in my hand most of the time and you're allowed to take guitars into hospital, I might have come out, you know, as good as Jimi Hendrix or something. But as it was, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't take a guitar into hospital. That was frowned upon, but I could take a pen and paper and jot things down. And the whole making sense of stuff, you know, I had to get through, get through what was going on. I had to get through the treatment. And then at the end, you're kind of left with this sort of sense of what the future is going to look like and trying to make sense of that. And so, it, you know, it did come along, you know, along the journey. You, you can't write like this when you're really, really ill and you've got pneumonia um, or, you, you know, you're being pumped full of drugs 24 hours a day. But you can when you're reflective, when you're waiting for your medication to be made up. You can when you're sat there, you know, on, on the IV, having your, having your sort of maintenance chemo. It's a great opportunity to think about what's happening and ask questions to yourself. And I think, you know, just, just playing with words has always been fun. I, lo I love puzzles. I love, you know, crosswords. I'm rubbish at them, but I do love the idea of them. Um, Sudoku jigsaws, Tetris, and you're just trying to find all these little pieces to fit them into place. And I think that's how, that's how I've, I find words and I find my story is being able to put the words into place. And I knew that I wanted to, I needed to, to write about it. I didn't want to write, you know, an 80,000 word novel because A, I don't have the attention span. B, I don't really think it would be that interesting because, you know, my, my story was just like, oh, he got ill. He got better. And, you know, there, there's no like, you know, pivotal love story. You know, I've been married for 20 years. You know, that, that's not an issue. So I couldn't really make a, an exciting book or anything. But I just wanted to, to sort of create these little moments that I could remember and look back upon. And it just, just seemed the obvious way to do it was because when, when you start writing, when I start writing a poem, I have no idea what it's like for other people. When I start writing a poem, I normally have like a word or a pun, or just something, an idea that's just twisting in my head and just playing in my head for days. And I'll finally write it down. And then I sort of go above it and below it and work out what that conversation, what that argument, what that idea is, and, and explore it. And just trying to find the poetry in it. You know, a, lo a lot of people look for those kind of little 
poetry moments in life, you know, where, where you just see a turn of phrase or something and it just brings that little moment of joy or understanding or delight. And, you know, if I can look back at a fairly horrific time of my life and just see these little moments of clarity, then that, that, that's something that I can take out of it. Would you say you have um, started writing more poetry with um, the, the pandemic coming along? Probably you were towards the end of your treatment as it, as it peaked, but we're still obviously in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I, w- I, wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be writing this much if, it, if there wasn't for the pandemic, because I, I'm easily distracted. I'd probably be on trains to London going to work or, you know, just, just, just going out and doing stuff. So, you know, it has given me that kind of option to do something. I think lots of people have found the pandemic very awakening in terms of, you know, starting something, whether that's creative, whether that's like knitting or it's going for a run every day. You know, there, there's, it's been an opportunity for some of us to be able to do something else and, you know, find new hobbies. So it's just been something that, that I now have a lot more time for. What, what is kind of frustrating for me is not being able to go and do open mic poetry nights or going to poetry events because, you know, I can't, can't really safely leave the house that much and certainly not to go to events like that. Um, but I've, you know, been taking part in some online events, which has been great and meeting people that I wouldn't have met because you know, they didn't come to my town or that, that kind of thing. And so that's, that's been really nice. And just having that, being in your house all the time, being you know, in that sort of confined bubble, it does lead you to overthink things a lot. And I think by processing those thoughts, which is something you know, I, le- I learned from having therapy from PTSD, that processing these thoughts can really help you understand them, you know, going through your memories and going through what you're experiencing and writing them down and then just revisiting, re-looking with a fresh pair of eyes, editing. And then you can really understand what it is that you've been thinking or you've been worried about or that's just aching at the back of your mind. Yeah. As well as sort of that supportive part of writing poems during COVID, what struck me about the next poem that I was going to ask you to read was it comes across as, as another campaign type um, poem you are both reflecting on what you have experienced during covid but also reminding all of us who are lucky not to be immunocompromised that you are still stuck inside in i suppose my question is was the campaigning thing the main driver of writing that particular poem um, the campaign was not the main driver for writing that poem. The campaign was the result of an edit. The poem was about frustration and anger, but I'm not, I'm not that person. I'm not an angry, shouty person anymore. You know, I would rather do something more constructive. And so, you know, I took out multiple references to, to various things and made it into something that I'm kind of, you know, has, has become a kind of campaign poem. You know, it's, it's been shared by a lot of people um, across the, 
immunocompromised spectrum and you know from charities and campaign groups have, have picked up on it too and it's just been in, in, incredible to see it have a life of its own you know i just wanted to be able to put my frustrations across in a constructive manner because you know for me i'm i'm, I'm an old man now i don't have enough energy to go around fighting and protesting but you know if, if i can do something in words that puts a message across then great you know that's say the original version it was written out of just utter frustration and disappointment about the lack of Evershield. And yeah, I, I just think it's come out quite universally rather than being a personal diatribe. So before we move on to talking about the, the poet in residence, then in case anyone hasn't heard it, did you want to read their remains for us? Yeah, of course. So this is called Their Remains um, from a Department of Health and Social Care press statement in April 2022. They wrote, however, there remains a smaller number of people whose immune system means they're at higher risk of serious illness from COVID-19 despite vaccination. We, the undersigned, the left behind, are missing footnotes, compromised, waiting in shadows to drop our shields, standing alone, shading our eyes. Encouraged to ignore losses, paraded figures rise and plateau. Numbers abstract, too historic to comprehend or mourn. We pay for our own security now and pray for just one line. Masked in all your darkest places, there remains the forgotten, almost out of mind. I think that's, yeah, it's a really, really lovely poem to, you can tell there's frustration behind it, but you, it's said in a very calm way. So it's, Thank it's you. a really yeah. great poem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, right. it's difficult to kind of um, manage that. But, you know, what, I think the, the, the results are clear. You know, it's, it's a personal view on a very frustrating situation without being antagonistic. Um, so I hope people can, you know, it makes me sad when people say, oh, I, this resonates with me completely. And, you know, they, they, they'll put that underneath the poem on Twitter or Instagram. And I'm just like, I'm so sorry because you're in this situation. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that I can sort of share your voice, and bring your voice out there, amplify what you're trying to say. So let's talk about the reason why you're back on the podcast um, finally. So the you pitched us an idea of uh, what's called Poet in Residence. And I must admit, it was a concept that was entirely new to me. Is it a concept that happens a lot? What is it, I guess, is my question. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, typically you go to like a national trust property or, you know, um, a wetland center and they'll have a, a poet in residence. And what that normally means is that some, a poet will spend a certain amount of time there, write some poetry inspired by the old house or the wonderful nature um, or what, what's going on. And, you know, maybe run a few workshops, do a couple of readings that sort of thing. And I'm not very interested in nature, especially as, as you discovered, you know, nature meant that my blood cells tried to have a rebellion. So for me, this was an opportunity to really explore that the side of poetry that has helped me, which is amplifying voices of people with leukemia, people with lymphoma, people with blood cancers, and to help share the benefits that I've had from, from writing poetry, because ultimately I, I write poems for myself. I don't, I don't write them 
to share. My, my readership is me. And if I think it's good enough to maybe put out to the outside world, I will. You know, I, I teach creative writing already. And I love the impact that, that that has on people. You know, it can really let you express your voice. And certainly in, the, in this sort of world we're living in at the moment, there's a lot of shouting, but maybe not as much reflection as there could be. And we're also very, you know, we're, we're kind of hard done by in, in, in the leukemia community. We've got these frustrations. We've got watch and wait, which I've read so much about and I can only sympathize just, just completely because it must be so frustrating. And to be able to process those thoughts, you know, through writing, through creative activities is something that I've really benefited from. And I hope that I can help others benefit from that too. And so what are you, I suppose, hoping to achieve specifically for patients? Do you, are you hoping to, to get a bunch of them together and, and teach them a little bit um, or more just sharing? I, I mean, yeah, what is your, what, what's your specific idea, I suppose, for, for the patient specifically? So what I'd like to do is, is to work with um, any, any patients who, who want to come along. Maybe we'll do some online workshops and we can sort of ex- explore writing for well-being, not necessarily expecting you to write, you know, poetry, but you can write, you know, just prose to understand what it is. You know, there's some wonderful journaling techniques we can adopt and also to, to write collaboratively. Um, what I'd really like to do is to write or to collate a poem from the wonderful words of all the, you know, the leukemia care family to try and encompass, you know, what, what we're going through, what we're fighting for, what we're grateful for, what we're sad about to create some kind of, you know, may, maybe like a community poem. And I hope, you know, we, we can use that to, to benefit the awareness of, of what we're trying to achieve here, you know, because you know, Leukemia Care for me isn't just a, a lobbying organization or a research organization. It's, it's a caring community. And what we're trying to achieve, you know, as, as part of that community is, is well-being through our buddy schemes and our, and our, you know, our support groups. You know, I've benefited so greatly from the support groups. And, you know, if, if we can encourage people to feel better, to feel better about themselves, to help them come to terms with what they've been through or what they're about to go through, then that would just be fantastic. And that's why I kind of volunteered my services because I'm never going to run a marathon. My knees hurt too much. I'm never going to skydive because I'm scared of heights. But I can write and, you know, I'm, I'm a decent teacher. Um, a decent enabler. I don't really think you can teach writing. I think you enable writing. Um, and that's what I can do. You know, I, I can help you find your voice and I can help you write down and get things out. Yeah, I think it's a really good example of turning what you can do into volunteering rather than looking for a volunteering opportunity that you already know exists, which, I, I, yeah, I thought was really, really great. And not we'd welcome those sorts of things from anybody. But I wondered also whether... You are hoping it might be even more, I suppose, cathartic or pro- help you process even more your, your own journey as a result of talking to more people about this particular venture that you like to do. Yeah, I mean, what I've learned from all of this is that three years ago, I knew nothing at all about leukemia. 
And I would like to know more about leukemia. I would like to understand what other people have been going through. And so there's, there's ways that I can, I can support that. You know, I've not been particularly vocal about watching weight because I'm still understanding what it all involves. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to really talk to more people. And I do, you know, I, I do have little chats with people on, on the internet, but it's kind of hard to do when, when you're stuck in the house all the time. Um, to actually get out and engage in the community. And I think, you know, for me personally, I'd, I'd have that well-being and giving something back because, you know, I've got a lot out of, you know, your support um, over the last few years and, you know, cathartically, personally, just being in a better position of knowledge and being able to use my writing ability to, to, to share that message and, and to raise that message more and to write better informed poetry because I can only write from an acute perspective and I can only write from a 44 year old male perspective. So it's very, very tricky. I would like, I would like to be able to write better poetry and contribute something to, to the world of literature. Cause there's not enough poems about leukemia. There should be more. Um, there should be more poems about illness and medicine in general, but, but certainly, you know, this is a very close to my heart kind of thing. And I would just want to be able to share that and raise as much awareness as possible. Talking about learning more about leukemia, I think that brings us nicely on to the penultimate poem. And I think the thing that struck me about this one is it's about a subject that uh, completely changed my viewpoint on something that happens to a lot of cancer patients. I wondered if you could could read it and then I, I think it'll explain what I mean, hopefully. Yeah, of course, of course. Ring the bell. There's this tradition to signify the end of treatment to mark the new you, to ring in the new year, to ring the bell, ring the all clear. It's not for me, I say. There's others in this day unit who may never get a chance, and as much as they might be happy that the man with the headphones has finished his chemotherapy, the ringing may just break their hearts as mine would if I heard that sound. But I live in fear that if I ring it, if I do a little speech and take some photos, that the cancer will come back. Then I'll have done this to myself, gloating that I had it beaten when it was still skulking in the dark, a wounded tiger regaining its strength. So like I said, for me, this is, this is I suppose, what I'm hoping we'll get out of your uh, residency as our poet in residence. Um, because it, as someone who tries to support people going through their leukaemia journey, you don't, it's impossible to truly understand what you've been through. And I'd never thought of the ringing the bell thing as a bad thing. But essentially you're saying it can be good for some people and it can be bad for some people. Is this the sort of poem you think it would be great to hear more from people with different types of leukemia? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there's so many different things that, you know, just, just, just the very complete difference between acute and chronic leukemia are completely different worlds. And what I think is amazing, and they're just like, dude, I've been two years and I still haven't been treated. It, it, there's just such a disparity of experience and you can work out, you know, I, I always felt kind of a little bit weird about ringing a bell, but I didn't know why I felt weird about ringing a bell until I wrote the poem because it helped me answer that questions and solidified my thought process. And, you know, I don't mind other, this isn't to say for a second, I don't mind other people ringing the bell. They can, they can do that. You know, I, th I think defeating cancer, getting into remission, surely that's worthy of some kind of recognition. It just, seems, it just seemed to me the kind of thing that I'd do and, you know, then it would come back. In the same way that I haven't 
you know, and, until this podcast, I haven't actually spoken to anyone about being poet in residence at Leukemia Care because I thought at some point you just turn around and say, Do you know what, Jamie? You're good. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't like to tempt fate. I I've don't like to do that. And that, that, that's kind of where it scared me. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to write more and understand more from other people's experiences. There's a Twitter account called Thanks Cancer, which is a very sarcastic name because it's not, you know, they're not actually saying thank you, cancer. Um, and they've tweeted this poem a couple of times now. And, you know, they've got a massive readership. And the responses, and it's just been wonderful to be able to, for people to be able to react to it and to say, yes, this is me, or do you know what? I do regret that, or I'm so glad I didn't. And you've explained it really well. But again, you know, it's not for me. It may be for you, you know, you, you may need to feel to do it. And I think there's a, also, you know, there's a strong argument now for having bells, but elsewhere. For example, in the oncologist's um, office rather than on the ward, because it's, it's a nice thing. You know, I, I love seeing it when, um, you know, you, you, you'll see on, on the news or, you know, in the local newspaper or you know, on Twitter or something. And, and you know, it'll be like, you know, child age six rings the bell. And it's just like, oh, mate, that's lovely. That's so pleased that there's, there's something nice to happen. But. You know, I'm such a worrier that I just couldn't imagine doing that in earshot of anyone. When, when I was having my final treatment, the nurses were like, oh, yeah, brilliant. You know, it's your last one. And I was like, oh, shh, don't tell them. They might be upset. Because it was just awkward. You know, I, I just didn't want anyone to feel like maybe they were just going to be stuck doing this forever, whereas I got to go home. And I felt really bad about that. Because I felt bad when people, you know, there's this guy that I shared a room with in one of my hospital times, you know, there was just the two of us in this room and he got to go home. And I was so jealous in the nicest way. You know, I loved that he got to go home. But, but why wasn't it me? Why, why wasn't it me getting to go home and be better? And, you know, I just had to like go out and just go for long walks around the hospital just to avoid his family packing up all of his stuff. And, you know, I'm so pleased he's better. And I'm so glad I'm not in touch with them or anything, but, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm really, really pleased you're better. But yeah, I was just at the time, it was just devastating. So yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of conversations about cancer treatment and things like that that we can have um, and we can explore. And I'd certainly like to do more of that. And I hope that others do take up that offer of yours and there must be so many things that people don't feel comfortable talking about that they feel is more to be that we really need to know to be able to support everyone and that's why I love that yeah. uh, love that poem very much and we're not going to get rid of you with Pert in residence because I think we've already given you a task I believe and this week is Men's Health Week um, so yes. I thought we'd just end our conversation by talking a little bit um, about that and then I know you've got um, a poem that you've written I wondered whether you felt that poetry was a particularly good way of encouraging men to express their feelings uh, in, in particular because we do know they're less likely to seek help for both physical and mental health problems do you think there's a there's a, a particular role for poetry there at all I certainly think that writing does yeah writing expressing I think a lot of <sighs> Mental health week is a very difficult one for me because I don't necessarily feel particularly stereotypical masculine. And I think there is that 
kind of toxic masculinity, which means that we won't talk about these things and, you know, you can just bury it all with a couple of pints and then shouting at the other team while you're watching a football match. Being able to release that kind of pent up energy and tension is great. Perhaps we have more constructive ways we can do it. And, you know, you, you, you see that in, in terms of, you know, punk music, you know, Ian Jury, he, he wrote a lot about, you know, just, he, had, he had polio, um, wrote a lot about that, I think. And, you know, you, you can certainly see that expression in, in songwriting. You certainly see it amongst some people um, in poetry. So maybe it's, you know, it's just writing that kind of writing down what you think rather than burying what you think can help you come to terms, can help you realise what it is you're actually dealing with. Because I think, uh, you know, many occasions it's just easier to say, oh, it's just all too much, I've had enough. The number of emails that I've written in the workplace where I've written a really, really angry email to my boss, not in my current job, I must say since that, um, where I've written a really angry email to my boss and I've edited it and edited it and edited it until it makes sense. Until it comes, you know, it, it, what started off being a complete rant turns into a constructive idea and a whole new project to work on, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I think if we, we can show how, how those kind of journeys of expression can be made. I don't know if any of you are aware of, of the artist um, Mark Rothko. You might be aware of his beautiful paintings, which are just sort of big coloured rectangles, which sounds a bit daft. But when, when you look through his early career, you see that actually these big rectangles were once people. And over time of doing lots and lots of paintings, they've become just these sort of big orange squares with a darker orange background. And I just think, and, and it looks beautiful and it looks well better than his paintings of people, which just looked a bit, I don't know, a bit shoddy. So, you know, when you can create something quite so beautiful out of something that can be um, difficult, and violent and, and challenging, um, then why not? You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. Um, I have health, and I like going to the football. And I used to like, you know, having a few drinks. But it's not something that I do anymore. And I've found a healthier way to deal with my mental health problems, specifically, you know, through writing and understanding what it is that I'm going through. So let's. Let's end on your poem that we've asked to write specifically for Men's Health Week. Then. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Toxic cliches for boys. Boys will be boys. Don't cry. Snips and snails. Stiff lip. Chin up, son. Force it down. Deep inside. No. Unbutton quick now. Put those fists to good purpose. Tear apart the old code. Throw away the mould. Because an apple a day keeps on bruising and spoiling, toxins spreading out of sight until we're all out of time. Thank you. And um, you can also read that in, I'm sure, all of our social media and various other places if you want to go over that again. Thank you for writing that and for coming to us with your great idea of, of the poet in residence. It will, I'm sure, go really, really well. And I'm excited to see where it goes next. Thank you for your time, Jamie. It's been great to chat. Thank you so much. You too, Charlotte. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline 
on 080 88 010 444. See you next month.